Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? All right. Good to see you guys. Man, it's a good day. You get enough coffee today? Enough uh, food? I've been thinking about food a lot recently because we had our church fast last week. How many of you participated in that? How many of you ate fast food last week and feel like I participated in the church fast, you know? <laughs> it's whenever you're on the fast and if some, if like I, down in Medford at church, sometimes we wouldn't do the same days of fasting, like if there was a birthday or something, so we wouldn't be on the fast. And then you're at like a restaurant and you feel super guilty. You're like in Carl's Jr. and you're hiding, you know what I mean? And uh, if you, somebody walks in from church and looks at you like, what are you doing here? I'm eating, that's what I'm doing. But uh, fasting, for those of you who maybe aren't familiar with this thing uh, called fasting, it's when you abstain from food or something else, but typically food for a period of time just to seek God and take time in prayer. And we had a good time doing that last week, uh, those that participated in that. And I did a couple days uh, without food, just with, with water. And um, I, I realized how absolutely sinful and fleshly and, and uh, connected to food I really am. Anybody else experience that when you fast? And, and you know what it is? Like, I'll regularly skip breakfast. Sometimes I won't even eat until late afternoon or dinner, and I'm fine, right? But the minute you decide, I'm fasting, it's like when those words enter your mind, everything changes, and all of your flesh is like, come on! And so it was about 10 in the morning, and I came down from my office, and I'm like, I'm dying! Bethany, I'm dying! She's making the kids food, and she's fine, and angels are singing and very spiritual, and I'm full of the flesh. And I was like wrestling, and she goes, hun, you have to stop thinking about food. And I'm like, what are we going to do when we break our fast? Where should we go? So we went to Chicken Bones. <laughs> she asked me if I was going to do the all you can eat. I'm like, no, come on. I'm not that fleshly. Like I'm just decent. But I got the, the uh, five bones list wings. You know, they use the Z there at their, that place. Anybody like Chicken Bones? Come on, admit it. It's good. If you like chicken strips or wings. So we broke the fast. We had the Chicken Bones and it was a beautiful, glorious thing. And uh, here's the thing about fasting, though. What, is it, what does it teach us? You know, a lot of people think, oh, we f- you fast, and that means you're, you're earning some favor with God. Actually, fasting just shows you how connected to the appetites of this life you are, right? When I fast, I don't usually feel closer to God. I usually feel farther away. I usually feel closer to the other team, if you know what I mean. Start getting grumpy. You know, the word hangry comes to mind, and you find yourself barring those heads off like, Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad I'm fasting and so close to you right now. And yet I'm ah, on the other side. But fasting teaches us that, we, that we're connected, you know, to this world and, and that uh, we need to depend upon God, you know, that we need to, to depend upon him. Jesus said, uh, a man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when I fast, you know what, I, I just realized, wow, Lord, I have so much more room to grow in, in depending upon you and connecting with you. It was a great time last week. So thanks everybody that took part in that and excited to see the miracles that God does in response to all the prayers that were given. We had a great time praying on Friday night. It was a good time uh, at the loft, praying and seeking God. It was a powerful atmosphere of prayer. Really, really cool. Well, you guys, we're gonna jump in and continue in our series, which I'm so excited about called Clean Slate. How many of you have been getting some good things out of this series about salvation and how we see our relationship with God. And it's interesting to me because, um, well, let me, let me, I won't get ahead of myself. What I'll say first is if you were here last week, we started a story and we started to talk about the story of the prodigal son, a story that Jesus told about a father with two sons. And one of the sons basically said, dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. And he goes off and he goes into prodigal living. The word prodigal means wasteful. He spends his inheritance. He spurns his father. He goes into 
Uh, he's a Jewish young man. He goes into a Gentile community. He wastes his money, but he comes back. And contrary to what a lot of people think about God, Jesus tells us, actually, this is what the father is like. And he compares God to the father in this story. He says the father in the story, he should have been, uh, you know, scolding and angry and punish his lost wayward son, but he was watching the horizon. And when his son came walking down the path, the father didn't stand on the porch and glare at him. He ran to him, he wrapped him in his arms and he kissed him and he said, my son that was dead is now alive. And they threw a party for this young man. Now, listen, maybe you've thought that Christianity was about getting out of the party. (laughs) No, being a Christian is actually joining the party. It's joining the party because God has a party of freedom and destiny and purpose for every person. So if you're here and you've been, maybe you have all these images or thoughts that have been given to you, even by other well-meaning Christians or preachers or in churches, and you, you heard a Bible thumper telling you about hellfire and damnation or whatever, and somebody maybe thought they were giving you the gospel, but the gospel is good news. And the good news is that Jesus died for sinners like you and me so that we could come into his family. And the heart of God is to run to you, wrap his arms around you and say, you were dead, but now you're alive. Come on. And now it's time to have a party. So if you think that being a Christian is all about rule keeping and being really boring and only watching the, the right particular shows and listening to the right type of music and that's what gets you in with God, it's, that's wrong idea. God uh, has everything for you. He's, he's waiting for you to come home. And we kind of talked about that last week and we're gonna, we're gonna switch gears and go to the next part of that story. But before we do that, I wanna share something about the way that Jesus sees people. Now, how many of you know that we live in a time where categorization and labeling and figuring out, you know, who you are and what kind of personality type you are, this is like a big deal right now, right? How many of you know what Disney princess you are? Come on, don't lie. You're Jasmine. I know you. I'm Belle. I'm Belle. You know, no, you're not. You're, you're more like the evil queen. But anyways, um, <laughs> you know, you go online and you see these things. Hey, 17... 17 superheroes, and, and which one are you, right? And you're like, I'm Captain America. You're actually a software guy, and you, you eat Cheetos all day. But, you know, that was funny. Okay. So we, we're really into these, right? And everybody knows their personality type. You know, Myers-Briggs, which one are you? The INTJ or INFJ? We know our personality type. Are you, which one on the disc test? Which one are you? We actually do that in Next Track. Or are you the sanguine or phlegmatic or choleric or melancholic. How many of you have heard of these types of things? And we all like to know, don't we? Which one are we in? What category? But then we also put other people in categories and boxes, don't we? We, we tell people, oh, well, you're this way because you're introverted. Or you're that way because you're extroverted. Thank you for telling me which way I am. I appreciate you putting me in that box and labeling me. Thank you so much. But we're really, we really are into this as a culture and a society. We want to know like who we are, what we're like, what tribe we're a part of. We're, we're really a lot about boxes and sometimes this goes way overboard and uh, it's, it leaves kind of being, you know, what Disney princess are you? And it starts turning into something that's a little deeper, which is who's a good person and who's a bad person. And how many of you know that we're all complete experts in our own opinion? I mean, I have a PhD in my own opinion, right? And I, I always agree with myself too. I always think, man, that was a good thought. You're right on, Jake. You are right on. And so we put people in categories. Well, this is a good person because they voted the way I voted or they think the way that I think. Or this is a bad person because they don't go to church every Sunday like me. Or this is a, a good person because they, they do good things for poor people. Uh, well, this is a, but they're a bad person because they don't believe you know, the same thing I believe about uh, X, Y, Z, right? And we, we have these categories of good and bad. And we like to compare ourselves to other people, don't we? 
And we sort, of, we sort of give ourselves some good points if we are better in our eyes than another person. And you can see where this gets really problematic. And, and Jesus, he didn't think of it this way at all. He thought of categories and he thought, he thought of people in different ways than the way that we think about one another. And I think that we need to learn how Jesus thought about people. Because if we understand how Jesus thought about other people, it'll help us understand how he thinks about us even more. And I want to think like Jesus. How about you? You see, like I said, we think we're an expert. We are, we know we're an expert in our own opinion. But the problem is the fall of man, what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve chose to go their own direction and reject God's commandment. And it said, the, the, the enemy lied to them. He said, hey, when you eat of the fruit, you will not surely die. You will be like God, knowing good from evil. And that part of it was true. The, the lie was that they would die. The true part was that they would begin to keep score and they would begin to have a perception of right and wrong. The problem was sin distorted the lens. So we think that being sinful means that, hey, sometimes I do wrong things. That's just part of it. Actually, what sinful means is that you're rotten to the core and it's actually distorted how you live and perceive. And even how you see the world is distorted and twisted. And so I want you to imagine that if somebody were to put like these goggles over you, you ever worn like um, kaleidoscope or look through one of those kaleidoscope type things and it twists everything. Or if you put on the movie glasses, the 3D glasses, and it gets all weird and or if you have like a, your grandma or dad or somebody, you put their glasses on and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. What's wrong with your eyes, you know? And, uh, and we, we get what that's like. But did you know we're all wearing lenses that are distorting our view of other people and distorting our view of reality and that what we see as good might not be and what we see as bad might not be. And that not just our behaviors from time to time are wrong or bad, but actually the way we see is distorted and twisted. And so Jesus comes along and he tells people, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to connect with truth, it's not on Twitter. If you want to connect with truth, it's not on Fox News. It's not on CNN. Politicians don't tell us the truth. They do their best. Mm, maybe not. The truth is in a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he gives you the right way to measure and assess and look out into the world. And so how many of you think getting Jesus' perspective on things is probably good? probably good. And Jesus sees two different categories of people. He doesn't see them the way that we see them. Jesus looks right past the external things. He looks past the behaviors and he looks right into the very heart of people and he breaks it down in a very unique way. Now, we're going to look at this real quick before I finish the story that we started last week. In Luke chapter five, it says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, a little context here. Tax collectors at this time were like the worst of the worst. And you might think, it's pretty much the same today. You know, nobody is ever like, yeah, I work for the IRS. So proud, you know, <laughs> you don't want to get mugged after church, right? You want to see church people run faster than if they were running to a buffet. It's when they're chasing down tax people. Anyways, okay. So that was a good joke, you guys. So tax collectors, what they would do in, this, in, in Israel at this time is they were working for the Roman government and they had to provide a quota of taxes to the Romans but what they would be able to extort, steal, bribe, get out of people above and beyond that was their take. So it was basically like saying, hey, whatever you get above and beyond the, this level, you can have. So what do you think they did? They squeezed every penny they could out of people and were very abusive. And it was known that they were dishonest and that they would come along with the soldiers and that you had to do what they wanted, but they were basically squeezing their fellow Jews for this. So they were despised. And this is the person that Jesus sees, this tax collector named Levi, and he says, follow me and be my disciple. And it says right here, so Levi got up 
left everything and followed him. I want you to remember those three things. There's a test at the end, okay? So remember those three things. Somebody's like, okay, yeah, all the overachievers. No, there's no test. But you should remember those. Verse 29, later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law, the good people, the righteous people, the ones who were doing everything correctly, living by the law, they complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? How do you really feel about the people around us tonight, right? Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And Jesus shows us two categories of people here. You see, we say you're good, you're bad. You vote like me, you're right. You vote against me, you're wrong. You think this way, you're wrong. You tweeted that, I saw what you did. I know what you did with that person that one time. You're a bad person, whatever. We, we have categories that we put on people. Jesus says, I see two categories and here's what they are. Those who think that they're righteous and those who know they're sinners and need to repent. And Jesus said, I came to call. In other words, I came to invite into my family, not the people in category one. Those who think I'm good, I've gone far enough. I, I know what it's like to be a good person. I go to church, I give in the offering. I vote the right way. I think the right way. It's those other people over there. And Jesus breaks this down and says, hang on a second. You could go to church every day in your life and you could still be in category one. You could think that you are righteous. I didn't come to call you. You're not invited to my party. That's kind of scary, isn't it? And then number two, there are people who look like to the outside world, you're a mess. Everything you do is wrong. Everything you think is stupid and your life is a horrible, rotten mess. And you know what? It probably is. But Jesus said, I'm after this person who inside of themselves recognizes the fact that they don't have it all together and they need to repent, which means to turn around and go a different direction. And here's, here's something I just want to tell you today. You might've walked in here and thought, man, I'm not really cut out for the church thing because I'm not religious. And I, sometimes I don't do the right thing. And I cut people off on the belt line. And I'm like, I drive aggressively. I have anger issues. You know what I mean? You've been to management training, anger management, you know, but you might think like, I'm not a religious person. I don't really like, you know, we're singing these songs and why is everybody doing, raising their, what is this whole thing? It's not really my thing. And you know what Jesus wants you to know today? It's not about how you sort of conform externally and fit a certain bill or idea of what a Christian is or what you think a Christian is. Jesus wants to know, do you wanna roll with me? Because if you wanna roll with me, I'll roll with you. Do you want to allow me access to the inner part of you? Do you know that you're a wreck and do you want me to come in and help you? Do you know you're sick? Do you wanna see something you don't ever see? You never see doctors like in their scrubs like running down the street, tackling people. You're going to have surgery today. <laughs> what? You know what I mean? They don't do that. Do you know why doctors, they don't really need to do that. Why? Because when you're sick and something's not working correctly, you're like, doctor, you can see the problem with me here, right? Sick people go to the doctor. Doctors don't pursue sick people very often, right? I mean, that's not the picture that we see. And Jesus says, look, if you don't think you need me, then you don't need me. I don't have anything for you. I, Jesus can only save people who need saving. If you don't need saving, he can't save you. But here's the thing. And this is what we all see underneath this is that we all, we all should connect with this reality and this fact that despite whatever we've done in our life, all of us should be in category number two. 
We should all say, God, I'm a wreck. Like what I've done in my life, good and bad, if you weigh it on a scale, I mean, if you look at all of it, it's not leveling up to where you are. I'm a sinner and I need to repent. I need to connect with what you have for me and who you've called me to be. And this is how Jesus sees the world. Now, listen, this is going to wreck you because if you begin to look at people like this, you stop being able to say, well, I'm better than this person or I'm better than that person. No, you don't know. And there's no way to know that. And it doesn't matter at all because nobody's as good as Jesus. It's like saying I was in a race and I was the one that got, we were swimming across the lake and I, I was the one that got the furthest before I drowned. Everyone drowned, but I got the furthest before I drowned. You're a winner. You did well. You know, no. We're comparing ourselves in a race against Christ, not against other people. And we all fall short. And we're going to talk about this more next week, but Jesus sees these two categories. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I've gone, I, I, I've, go, I've gone too far and there's no way Jesus could receive me and, and, and bring me into his kingdom. And the answer to that is no. Or you might be this person who says, I've gone far enough. I've given him enough of my life. I, I've given Jesus, you know, enough. I, I do the things that I need to do to, to, to be good with God. And the reality is, no, you got to understand, I'm a sick person and I need him continually in my life. Come on, somebody. So Jesus sees these two categories and I want to continue from last week. We, we were going into a story that Jesus told. The context of this is, again, tax collectors and other notorious sinners are around Jesus. The people that were the outcasts, the outsiders, they didn't me measure up to the religious community. They were the ones that were around Jesus. And it made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And this is where they're sitting. They're at this meal. And this is where Jesus goes in and he tells three incredible stories in Luke chapter 15. If you want to read these stories, encourage you to do that this week. He talks about a lost coin, talks about a lost sheep, and he talks about a lost son. And we, we, we read last week in Luke chapter 15 about the younger son who left and wasted his inheritance. But if you remember, we stopped when it was coming back into this point of the story, because it says in verse 25 of Luke 15, meanwhile, it's like one of those old radio programs, right? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Oh no, Mad McGruff taught Mad Dog McGruff taught Miss Susie to the railroad tracks. You know, <laughs> I love that voice. It just never gets old to warble your voice like that. Silver and gold in them there hills. <laughs> I do it to my kids sometimes, and they're just like, "How many of you dads appreciate becoming dad-like?" I'm gonna start wearing, you know, jeans that don't fit my legs and. Have you seen that commercial? It's like Geico when you start acting like your parents and that guy's like, that's the best commercial ever. Okay. Anyways, what does it have to do? So that connects to this, this really deep thought in this way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't it's just, just fill in time right there. Luke chapter 15. Meanwhile, the younger son has come back. The father has embraced him and there's this beautiful reconciliation. There's shock and awe because the son really should be rejected by all standards. And yet the father goes completely out of character for these people in this moment. As Jesus tells the story, he pursues, he runs down and he, and he embraces his son and he brings him in. He says, we're gonna throw a party. We're gonna kill the fattened calf. Come on, God's pro barbecue. And in verse 25, it says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, working. Many of us see our Christianity like this, working, working working. I'm working for God. I'm working. I'm serving. I'm serving in the dream team. I go to both services. Why? 
I don't know, but I do. You know, working, working. I got to read my Bible. I'm doing the Bible reading plan. Which one are you on? I'm on the one where I read the Bible seven times in three days. Okay, good. You're working, working, working for God. I prayed through my prayer. I did my prayer, God. I'm working. I, I, I serve. I go to the mission. I serve there. I, I serve soup to people. I go and I pass out food to people. I do. I'm working. I'm working. And we think, we think that the working is what is getting us in with God. That the working, that the doing, that the effort, that the earning is something that's giving us something with God. And Jesus says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Can I tell you something? When people come to church, they should hear music and dancing in the house. This should be the biggest party that ever happens in Lane County. There should be no rager or kegger or any place that's more fun or more joyous or celebratory than here. Now, we do want to be more sober than those places, but it is possible to have fun uh, without those things. And and I guarantee you, your food is better when you're not so plastered and throwing up. People are like, man, that was so great. You're you're in your own vomit. I mean, let's just, let's be honest here. This isn't that great. Um, Meanwhile, He's working, he's working, he's working, but he hears in the house the sound of music and dancing. And that's what God's house is like. The Father's house should be a place of music and dancing. People get mad. This guy was mad at, on, mad at me on Facebook the other day. He said, you probably use rock music in your church. And I thought to myself, if he only knew. <laughs> if rock music was like the most anti-religious thing we did here, that would be great. But that guy would probably die if he walked into this place. He's like, oh my, you're in a movie theater. Oh no, you know, anyways, we won't go there. Music and dancing. Says he heard it in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on. And they said, your brother is back and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. And the servant's like, all excited. You know, you ever have somebody come and tell you news and you're like, that's not what I wanted to hear. And they're like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's a small party. It wasn't that fattened of a calf. I mean, it says though in verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He was angry and wouldn't go in. And his father came out and begged him, but he replied. And I'm going to get into what he said in just a second, but I want to to show you something here. This story should be called uh, the prodigal sons because this father has two lost sons. And the the end result for both of these sons is they've excluded themselves from the fellowship of their father and the party and the music and the dancing and the barbecue inside the house. And let me just tell you right now, a lot of people think that some people are in, some people are out, and it's God who's standing there going, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And it's a misconception. Let me just tell you, the only person, the only people that will ever be separated from God and from the party in his house are the ones who choose of their own free will that they don't want to be a part. Whether you're a sinner or religious or good or bad or whatever category you are, whatever personality and whatever Disney princess you happen to be or Star Wars character or superhero, it doesn't matter because it's always going to be choosing to be in the presence of the father and in the party or excluding yourself from it. And this son is excluding himself from the party. He refuses to go in. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? Never in the story, never when Jesus talks about his father, when he talks about God, when he says, this is how my dad is like, this is what he's really like. I know him better than anyone. And this is what he's really like. Never does he say the father saw his son coming back from prodigal ways and gave him a stern moralistic lecture about the error of his ways. 
He knew the error of his ways. He was starving to death and he was coming back as a servant and his dad said, you can't be a servant, you're my son. And he brought him into full sonship. And now here's another son who thinks he's not doing, he's the opposite of this other guy, his other brother going out, living wasteful and sinning and all, doing all the stuff that he's doing, but he's working in the fields and he comes to the father and this is what he says. He says, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, listen to the language of distancing. See, isn't this what we do sometimes? Is we go, well, those people aren't like us. Those are Democrats. Those are Republicans. Those are these type of people over here. These are people that think this way when those children of yours, God, those people, he distances himself. This is his own brother. The language of distancing is a sign that your heart is far from God. When you look at people and say, they're the good ones, they're the bad ones, you see the people going along through life when you drive through the certain part of town and there's somebody that's broken on the side of the road and they have a sign with you know, cardboard asking for money and you, you immediately think, well, you know, they're there because of the decisions that they made. Correct. And you're where you are because of the decisions that you made and both of you are neither good nor bad. There's no one good but God. You're not thinking correctly. You're not thinking about the categories that Jesus sees because that person standing on the corner who's addicted to drugs and brokenhearted and beaten down might be closer to God than you in your nice suit sitting in a church somewhere. And when you experience blessing in your life, you were given that blessing. Maybe your choices did lead you to that moment, but God, by his grace, put you in that position to be a blessing to other people. So don't think too much of yourself. And I'm preaching to myself right now. Yeah, do wise choices lead to different results in life? Absolutely, but listen, guys, come on. We need to stop distancing ourselves from other people because Jesus brought in a whole brand new idea of what it means to be close with God. You're excluding yourself from the party if you think in this way. I've gone far enough. I've done good enough. I'm different than these other people. He distances himself. He says, this son of yours, comes, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And you can hear his words dripping with acid. Psh, psh. And his father said to him, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, you religious spirit. No. His father said to him, dear son, can I tell you something? The father never changes in the story. He is adamant and resolute in his goodness. He is unchanging and unchangeable by the whims and the, and the movements of the other sons, of his sons, both of his sons going different directions. Jesus wants us to see something about God, that you might be the biggest religious jerk in this room right now. And when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you with a stern, disapproving glance at you. He still calls you, dear son, dear daughter. You might be as far from God as you could possibly be. You might've lived your entire life with both middle fingers straight up in the air at God, visual image. You're lucky I didn't fly that flag, aren't you? Uh, it would be a little too far or too offensive for some. But many people have lived their life in this way and they think I've gone too far and the father never changes. He's still waiting to embrace you. Listen to the heart of God that Jesus tells us about. 
And he says, look, my dear son, you have always stayed by me. God sees your faithfulness. He sees what you've done. And everything I have is yours. You were never excluded. Every single thing I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And like the masterful storyteller and the surgeon of hearts and minds that he is and was, Jesus ends the story. And he doesn't tell you what happens. Isn't that horrible? It's like having a movie that you know is like a sequel and it never happens. My kids and I, we watched the, the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. I think I fell asleep like two hours in, but they watched the whole movie the next day or something. And they were like, Gandalf dies, oh, you know? And, and they were left with a cliffhanger. We haven't even watched the two towers yet. So they don't know that Gandalf comes back, right? <laughs> How many of you read that like in the books? And when Gandalf died, I think I cried. If you know the Lord of the Rings, anybody in here a fan of Lord of the Rings? Nerds, where my nerds at? Nerds at? Okay, nerds. Some of you are like, those movies are lame. I don't like elves, like Santa Claus elves. No, they're different. They're cool elves. They have bows and arrows. They, they still wear tights, but okay. But the cliffhanger ends, right? The story ends. What if you never got to know the, the next part of the story? It's, it's horrible. And this is what Jesus leaves us with, but here's why. Because this story is about you and it's about me. And if we see ourselves in this story, here's why Jesus leaves it open-ended. Because the father tells his, his older son, the party's going on. The younger son's inside. <laughs> Barbecue sauce. You know, <laughs> just having a blast, like celebrating. He's got the robes on, you know what I mean? And all the servants are like, this is awesome in here. I wish we got to do this all the time, you know, just dancing, whatever. That's what's going on in the house. And here's the older son. And, and the father tells him, we had to celebrate for your brother was dead. He, he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And Jesus just says, it's done. And here's why, because now the choice is up to us. This is a choose your own adventure story. How do you respond to the kindness and the goodness and the inclusivity of God? How do you respond to the scandalous nature of the grace of God? I think there will be more people standing, separated from the presence of God, angry about who's going into his presence for eternity and happier to be excluded from there because they see how they, they think it's so wrong that God is so merciful. And a lot of people who have absolutely no business being there, but have said, I'm in category two. I need Jesus. I want to roll with him. Are going to receive everything that God has for them. Come on, somebody. And Jesus ends the story. He says, listen, the choice is yours. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to be the kind of person that says, I've been working, I've been working, I've been earning, I've been slaving, I've been doing this in the field, and you, you should have given me a goat for my friends, God. I don't want relationship with my father. I just want you to, to, to honor and, and see my sacrifices for you, and then I want you to give me something. He has a very transactional relationship. The father says, no, everything I have is yours. I would have given you anything. I would have given you more than, than you thought you had to earn. But let's come inside right now because it's a party for the, your brother that was lost. He says, no, it was your son. But God never distances himself from us. He says, okay, dear son, though you are distancing yourself from your brother, I will not distance myself from you. And the father just leaves it there. We have a choice. So maybe today you, you think you've gone too far like the, the younger son. You haven't. Maybe today, like the older brother, you think you've gone far enough. 
And it's the same answer. You haven't. Because you could never earn your way to God. And you could never be a servant enough to be right with God. You can only be a son or a daughter and you can only respond by grace. So let me just give you a clue of how to respond to this message. And it's what I told you to remember back in the beginning when I said there'd be a test at the end. When Jesus goes and he finds this tax collector named Levi, his name is actually Matthew Levi. And you know him because he's the one that wrote the book of Matthew. So he becomes one of Jesus' disciples. He becomes an apostle. He actually goes on and he gives his entire life to preach the gospel and he's martyred. I forget where, somewhere in Armenia, I think, but he's martyred for his faith years later as a witness and, a, and a, somebody testifying about the resurrection of Jesus. And here's this tax collector. He's a Jewish guy named Levi. And there he is. And Jesus comes and he, and he shows him mercy in this moment. And he doesn't look at what he's doing in all of his past. He says, hey, you want to roll with me? Uh, I'll roll with you. And this is what Levi does in these three things. And I think this is how we need to respond today to this message. Number one, it says he got up. Number two, it says he left everything. And number three, he followed him. Today, we need to get up. Look, I've gone too far. I'm far from God. Get up, get out of your mess. Stand up today and say no more. I, I'm, I'm feeding pigs. I'm, I'm, with, I'm feeding pigs in this place and I'm starving. My life is a mess and I need to get to Jesus. Come on, get up, get up. There's no law or rule that says you're excluded from being a part of the kingdom of God and you can just get up right now. Maybe you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I've gone far enough. Get up, come on, get up. Let's go. You got purpose and mission and destiny and people to love and the gospel to preach. Come on, get up, get up. And Levi gets up and it says he left everything. See, leaving everything, when we hear those words, here's what we hear, leave all the bad stuff. No, 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 that's not what it says. It says he left everything. You see, Levi, not everything about his life was bad. He probably had a pretty nice house. He probably had a pretty nice, you know, camel or whatever they rolled. You know, it's my Maserati camel. It's pretty nice, sweet rims, you know. He had his perspectives. He had his hopes and dreams and his ambitions. And it says he left everything. When you follow Jesus, you have to make a decision. Am I willing to trade everything I've accumulated in the, this life, possessions and desires and ambitions and dreams? And am I willing to roll with this guy, Jesus, and follow him into the future of what he has for me to find out who he made me to be and what he's called me to do? It's kind of like the story in, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Are you going to go through the wardrobe and experience and see the magic that's behind and find out what the adventure is? But a lot of people are just easy. They want to play it really safe. And so they're like, well, I'll leave some. I'll leave the bad stuff. But the stuff that I think is good about me and the stuff I think, well, this is my personality and this is who I am. And I'm an introvert, so I can never do what you do, Pastor Jake. Correct, without the Holy Spirit. But with God, you could do anything that he's called you to do. Come on but you got to leave everything behind. Well, no, I'm an extrovert, so I could never do this or that. Come on, don't put yourself in a box. Do you want to roll with Jesus? And, and Levi says he left everything. If you want things to change, you've got to be willing to change. The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. Leave everything. And then number three, it says, and he followed him. We need to follow him. Following Jesus is a huge part huge part of what we want to, to encourage people and teach people and cajole people and <laughs> confront people to do. We want to see every person in Lane County be a follower of Jesus. I don't want you to be a follower of Jake Schmelzer. Only follow me as I follow Christ. When you see me not lining up with what Christ is doing, don't follow that. Follow Jesus. 
Come on, here's the beautiful thing. Wherever you are today, whether you're somebody who thinks you've gone too far or somebody who thinks you've gone far enough, there's a next step for you. There's always another step in following Jesus. And it doesn't matter what level you're at or how good you are or bad you are or where you think you are or whatever, there's a, there's a step with Jesus. But you've gotta be willing to get up, leave everything and actually follow him. When Jesus called people to follow him in the New Testament, it wasn't like metaphorically, spiritually, follow me. It was like, hey, I'm walking by and if you wanna follow me, you actually had to get up and walk and go somewhere. And I think that we think it's so much different now, but it's not. It's not. You're actually gonna have to get up and in your life make some motion to follow him into who he's called you to be. Now, if you're like, how do I do this? Listen, if you have not gone through Next Track, we have put together a four-week experience, a four-week training where you can go and learn how to follow Jesus and discover your purpose and who you were made to be and wired to be and how you can get out of the stands and onto the field and participate in what God has called you to do and called you to be. And it's just the start of a journey. But that, that happens every single week in theater too at nine o'clock. And listen, you're like, well, okay, I've heard you guys talk about Next Track. Oh, I've done, I've done stuff like that at another church. So the heck what? Get up, leave everything. Well, I already know that stuff. Do you? Are you fully activated? Have you tapped out with what God has called you to do and who he's called you to be? Or is there more for you? Come on. No, 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 I've gone far enough. Really? No, no, I'm too old. I'm too introverted. I'm too young. Oh, so you're still deciding the direction of your destiny. You actually haven't really followed Jesus into the future. Come on, I'm preaching good right now. Some people are like, come on, that's me right now. You're feeling right now. <laughs> Follow Jesus. We've got next track. Listen, if you're not part of a joy group, maybe you're like, oh, I did, I did next track, so I'm good. I have more. Don't worry. There's more. We have joy groups. If you're not a part of a joy group, actively connected, bringing food, talking about the Bible, engaging with people, if you're not a part of one, that's a step you need to take. Do it. Can I tell you something about other people? They will bother you. Did you know that? They will irritate you. You won't like everything that everybody says. You won't agree with everything everybody says. And that's really good for every one of us. Because then we learn to love like Jesus loved. People think, oh, joy groups. I'll never tell people, hey, if you come to joy group, it's the most amazing time. There's nothing better. Incorrect. For me, I would always rather watch a true crime documentary on Netflix by myself with my wife and a ton of LaCroix right? Every night of the week, rather than go hang out with other people. But guess what? When I do that, I don't get to grow. I don't get to be challenged. I don't get to be shaped. And maybe you're like, okay, Pastor Jake, well, I'm part of a joy group. Well, maybe it's, maybe God's calling you to follow him and start leading a group. And you're like, no, I can't do that. Well, why? Well, because I'm too busy. What does that mean? It means there's more in your life that you're still holding on to. Come on. What is Jesus calling you to do? Make room for him to lead you into what he's called you to do and trust him that if he calls you to sacrifice something that you needed to let it go. Most of us are like Steve, uh, what's the guy's name with the big nose, the movie, The Jerk, Steve uh, Martin. If you ever seen the movie, The Jerk and he's carrying all these possessions because he loses his wealth, right? And he's like, all I need is this lamp and all I need is this thing. And he's walking down the road completely burdened with all these things. And that's a picture of what most of us look like in our life. We're like, I'm following you, Jesus, slow down. Because we're still picking all this stuff up in our life. And we're trying to hold on to everything. And guess what? It feels so good to do. I'm all in, Lord. I'm following you. I'm unencumbered by the pursuit of anything 
that is not building your kingdom and seeing your purposes come and your kingdom come and your will be done in this life. And I'm not saying quit your job and go grow your hair out or something. I'm not saying, what I'm saying is let Jesus say, follow me another step. There's always another step. If you're sitting here and it's been six months since the last time you got challenged and freaked out by God directing you to do something big, then you're not following Jesus. Come on. I was in the shower today. I was taking my monthly shower. It was a good time. And I came out, I told Bethany, I said, God, put it, he put a GSV in my head. He gave me a GSV. And you know what that's code for? God-sized vision. And something that scares me, something that freaks me out, something that's bigger than me, something that's kind of scary. But I was excited by that because I said, okay, Lord, you're calling me to level up. You're calling me to go another step. You're calling me to do something. Listen, if you haven't been freaked out, almost your pants scared about what God's calling you to do, you're probably playing it too safe. Okay, I'm preaching too long. All right. Get up, leave everything, follow him. Jesus sees two categories. And you're either thinking you've gone far enough or you're realizing, no, I need him to continue to work in my life. If you're here today, maybe you came in and, and you're one of those people that says, I'm just disqualified because of what I've done in my past. I wanna tell you that's not true. And Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus gave his life for every one of us and he calls us to repent and to put our faith and trust in him and to follow him. And I just wanna lead you in a quick prayer this morning to put your faith and trust in Jesus. So if that's you, would you pray this with me today and just pray it with sincerity. And let's all pray it together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin. I've fallen short of your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. You are my Lord and my Savior. And I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.